Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Vegas, Curtis Blades versus Alexander Volkov. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in the heavyweight main event. Blades and Volkov looking to get one step closer to that elusive UFC title shot. Yeah, Curtis Blades, his only two losses are to Francis Ngannou. And pretty much everyone besides that, he's absolutely dominated. So Curtis Blades, he's uh, looking to get that title shot. He's right up there in the mix behind behind Francis. And Volkov, man, this guy at one point, if he would have beat Derek Lewis, I think... You know, possibly he would have got a title shot, but we know that he pulled that uh, epic stun and got knocked out. But, you know, he he uh, rebounded with that nice win, dominant win over Greg Hardy, who's doing his thing now. So I think uh, this is a great fight, and uh, I'm interested to see what happens. And in the co-main event, we got a very exciting featherweight matchup between Shane Burgos and Josh Emmett. And Shaq, it's interesting because Josh Emmett has an 100% knockdown rate at 145 pounds, that means he's dropped every single person he's fought, win or lose, at 145. And Shane Burgos, one of the most exciting contenders in the featherweight division, he's looking to really break into that top 10. And a win over Emmett's going to do exactly that, Shaq. Yeah, Josh Emmett, man. I've been saying that this guy might be the hardest hitter at 145 for, for a little while now. And Burgos, man, this guy is big as hell he's like one of the biggest 45ers i've ever seen he's long he can box he you know he likes to to fight with his hands down which makes this fight uh very very compelling because you know shane is gonna tempt Emmett to swing that big that big bomb uh so i'm super excited with that one and the winner of this fight man is gonna be a, a solidified top 10 guy no doubt about it. Well, before we get down to business, got to let them know to go to bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code SHAQ50 for 50% off Shaq's plays. Use my promo code DAN25 for 25% off mine. Or use our combined code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs at bestfightpicks.com. Well, Shaq, let's get right down to business. Because first up, in the 55 division, we got a matchup between Austin Hubbard. He's 11-4. and four, And Max Roshkoff is 5-0. and oh. Currently, they got Max Roshkoff, minus 185. The comeback on, on Austin Hubbard is plus 160. Well, Shaq, look, this is uh, the credit I'm going to give it to Austin Hubbard. He's durable, he's got UFC experience, and he's got great cardio. Those are the three things I can say about him. Look, he trains in Colorado in elevation. The guy can go a three hard rounds. Now, one thing about Roshkoff is a lot of people look at him as a jiu-jitsu guy because in his MMA career, he has been very slick going out there, choking his opponents out. But he's actually a former D1 wrestler from NC State. So he's got the high-level uh, wrestling mixed in with his passion for jiu-jitsu. You know, he's a guy, not often you see guys, they, they finish the college wrestling scene and then they truly fall in love with jiu-jitsu. That's what this guy's done. He's blending both arts very well. Now... We don't really have any proof of what he looks like in the third round, but I'll tell you what we do have proof of, Shaq. We got proof that Austin Hubbard can't finish a completely gassed opponent in round three, as we saw in his last fight versus Madsen. So I do favor the newcomer, uh, Roshkoff, here. And, you know, it's funny. I, I like Hubbard, but it's like... Uh, you know, we like to call him a harmless Hubbard, you know, because even if his opponent is completely gassed and closing his eyes and ducking down and doing all these things, he still can't get them out of there. And Davi Ramos felt so unthreatened by this guy that he literally he literally tried to stand and bang with him and knock him out, you know. So uh, this is a different matchup because I hear people saying, well, if Davi couldn't submit him, that means Roshkov can't submit him. And I view it a little bit differently because Davi wasn't aggressively pursuing the subs. He, he wanted to test his stand-up against Austin Hubbard and... 
I think that uh, I think that Roshkov will try to sub him. I think the sub is a big possibility, but if not, he can always resort back to his D1 wrestling, mix in takedowns, which you've seen Hubbard taking down over and over, and uh, grind this one out. So, yeah, I'm going to actually go with the newcomer despite the lack of experience. Uh, I think he's talented, and I think this is a fight he can win, Shaq. Yeah, you know, Austin Hubbard, there's really nothing impressive about him. Uh, just, you know, like you said, he's experienced, at least in comparison to this guy. But this is like one of those typical uh, spots, um, you know, where you got a newcomer who really hasn't fought anybody, really hasn't proven much. And you got the uh, average, you know, kind of like uh, last week with Nam and that uh, Russian guy, you know, where... Uh, you know, it's it, like it's tough to say. I mean, he he, he seems he, he seems like he knows what he's doing in there, but he just hasn't fought anybody. But this would be a, somewhat of a, a doable step up. You know, uh, Hubbard, like you said, he's a little harmless. He's not going to knock anything out. Even his win against Kyle Prepperleck, you know, that first round he was getting touched up, and then Kyle Prepperleck just uh, completely gas. I mean, these guys are you know borderline not UFC level. So, you know. Uh, from a betting perspective, I think his dog are passed just because, I mean, who knows about this this uh, Rosh... How do you pronounce his last name? Roshkov? Rosh? Yeah, Roshkov. Roshkov. You know, who knows about him? What happens when he gets in the late rounds? He hasn't been tested in any spots. And, and experience goes a long way in this game. So from a betting perspective, I, I'd say it's uh, Hubbard are passed. But just from Hubbard in general, like, the guy uh, really... Uh, he doesn't really I don't want to say he doesn't bring anything to the table. He's a good point fighter, uh, you know, for the lower levels. But, man, he's just very, like you said, harmless, man. So, you know, I definitely get that Roshka pick, but I'll just go Hubbard to be on the opposite. And I, I think the from a betting perspective, one could say there's value in him. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Roxanne Modafferi. She's 24 and 16 and Lauren Murphy is 12 and 4. Currently, they got Roxanne Modafferi minus 125. The comeback on Lauren Murphy is plus 105. Well, Shaq, look, both these ladies have come a long way. We can't deny them anymore. They're both coming off the biggest wins of their respective careers. And uh, at one point, we were thinking, hey, one more fight. These, guys, these ladies are going to be gone. Well, here they are, man, in the top 10 of the flyweight division. And uh, this is a big fight. So which way are you leaning? Uh, yeah, this is a, a close fight as well. You know, Mata Ferry, she pulled off that nice upset over Macy Barber, another upset over uh, Antonina Shevchenko, and Murphy's been pulling off a couple of upsets herself. Like you said, both thought these girls were dead in the water. Um, man, it's actually surprising because I actually think for once, for once, Roxanne might actually have a speed advantage. You know, I think Lauren Murphy's, you know, a little stiff, uh, very slow, but Murphy, man, she just seems like she's been uh, getting a lot more comfortable in there. She's been fighting with a different aggression. You know, she is a, a gritty, you know, tough, hard-nosed fighter, as well as Roxanne. Roxanne just really likes to recklessly move forward, press with the takedowns. I do think there's a chance that Macy Barber was very overrated, you know, a very young girl. And, you know, I don't think Lauren Murphy, Lauren Murphy necessarily has the... Uh, that whole that hole in her wrestling like uh macy barber did i think it's gonna be a tough fight a close fight either way you look at it i don't see how you could be confident in either side it's a you know uh i don't want to say dogger pass but uh i'll take lauren murphy in a in a close decision yeah look uh lauren murphy has truly truly impressed me man i mean from someone who 
was kind of like a laughing stock, similar to Roxanne Modafferi to now she's a contender, man. She's got a UFC knockout under her belt, and she even went out there in that last fight as a massive underdog against Andrea Lee. And I don't care who you score that fight for. It's just the performance that I look at. And regardless... Real, real, real quick, I, 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 for like that was like kind of like killing Gadelia. That was the one decision where I didn't think it was like too bad like i mean you know i know but from what i remember lee was spitting out her mouthpiece every 10 seconds and you know uh, she was you know wincing in there i thought it was a a tough fight you know a, a good close fight yeah no doubt about it and lauren murphy would end every round with takedowns and that was the best lauren murphy has ever looked regardless of who you score it for and Whoever came up with those strike numbers saying that Andrea Lee outstruck her by, like, over 30 or 40 strikes, that's complete bullshit. Like, I saw Andrea Lee get her mouthpiece knocked out. I saw her get taken down at the end of rounds. I saw her making faces. That's the best Lauren Murphy has ever looked. Let's give her some credit. And with Roxanne Modafferi, to this day in 2020, she still has the biggest upset of the year, you know, against Macy Barber. So you got to give her a lot of credit. It's just I still kind of think that Roxanne Modafferi is one-dimensional. And if she can't get it into that realm, she's most likely going to lose. So I kind of disagree with her being a favorite. I think that it actually should be closer to a pick maybe even a slight lean on Lauren Murphy. So my pick will be uh, Lauren Murphy in this spot as well. Also in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Courtney Casey. She's 9-7. and seven. And Jillian Robertson is seven and four. Currently, they got Jillian Robertson minus one twenty. The comeback on Courtney Casey is plus one hundred. Well, Shaq, one thing we know for sure: death, taxes, and Courtney Casey will be taken down in a fight. But that being said, uh, Jillian Robertson is uh, one of these young ladies that, like Eddie Alvarez told us a very long time ago, if she can't get her uh, early sub, she does tend to mentally check out a little bit. And Courtney Casey. While we never accused her of being the brightest, she's definitely tough as nails. So which way are you leaning in this one? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you said that because, you know, my boy Eddie was uh, very, uh, you know, he, he definitely believed that. You know, I, I actually remember Lauren Murphy and some other girls saying she is not a quitter. <laughs> and uh, Eddie was like, yeah, she is. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, I think this is, a, you know, this is one of these fights where, look, if you're a... Uh, like Jillian, like you said, if she can't get that sub, she usually, you know, she got knocked out her last fight against Macy Barber, seemed to check out really quick or, you know, the Myra Bueno Silva fight. No, those girls are, are definitely very talented. It's just that I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, her two wins, when you look at it, are uh, Macedo, who's, you know, complete, you know, trash, let's just be honest here. And then... uh and then Sarah Frodo, who I think tested positive for like everything in the book and, you know, just isn't very good herself, man. So I, I agree with that statement, man. I really do. I think that if Jillian, if she can't, if she, I, I have a hard time believing that she can chain takedowns for three rounds and keep it together while eating punches on the, you know, on the feet, you know, if they're going back and forth, I think that at some point she could possibly run into a wall and, and check out again. Now, Casey, the thing with betting Casey is you have to accept the fact that you're going to get taken down right away. I mean, it's one, it's one of those things. But I, I think Casey's got a good guard to, like, you know, attack with arm bars, you know, uh, a triangle here and there. Like, she she doesn't really get her back taken or, like, I mean, she, Claudia Gadelia couldn't submit her. I mean, she's been on the ground with the – she submitted Randa Marco. So, I, you know, I know Jillian's a, a very talented jiu-jitsu player, but, you know – 
yeah, I could see her having success, but man, if this gets stretched out into the second and third rounds and they start having stand up stand up exchanges, I really think Casey could could land a shot to maybe even get her out of there or, you know, make Jillian start flopping or I actually got Casey in this fight, man. I actually think that she should be the slight favorite, uh, you know, but you're going to have to deal with some takedowns. But I think it's going to be somewhat of a comeback victory for Courtney Casey on Saturday. Yeah, look, Casey's been taken down 20 times in UFC competition, and I fully expect uh, Jillian to add to that total. The only thing is that Jillian ain't exactly known for going out there and controlling people and winning decisions, which is the way to beat Courtney Casey. Now, I'm not saying that can't happen here, but based off her history, she's so hell-bent on getting these early subs that if that doesn't happen, she does seem to check out a little bit. And on the feet... Not, not going to call it a mismatch because Casey ain't exactly known for knocking people out, but I will say this. She, she will pepper her up. She will outland her for sure, and she might break her. It's just that Jillian's going to be able to bail herself out with those takedowns. It's just what happens after that. We have seen Jillian subbed, uh, you know, uh, Myra Bueno Silva subbed her from bottom before with an armbar, which we've seen Casey pull off twice inside the octagon in her last fight versus Barella earlier against Randa Marcos. So that could happen. But we've also seen fights where... Casey gets taken down multiple times like the Jessica Aguilar fight and she still goes out there and gets a 30-27 on every single card so she does have a path to victory even if this hits the scorecards uh and I'm gonna lean Casey as well it's just that if you better just know that she's gonna be taken down here so if you can live with that and get past that I think she's got a good chance to win this fight now next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between Mark Andre Barrio he's 11 and 4 and Oscar Pijota is 11 and 3 Currently, they got Oscar Pijota, minus 120. The comeback on Mark andre Barrio is plus 100. Shaq, I'm going to take this one first. Look, so obviously both these guys, uh, we, weren't, we weren't expecting them to get another fight in the UFC. And that's no disrespect, just based on how the business goes. You know, three straight L's, and especially Pijota getting ran through in those L's in a way where the Mershart one and the Puna Haley one, we were like, dude, like, you know, maybe you should take some time off and reconsider things because those were hellacious. The Rodolfo Vieira one, you know, we can, no, no big deal, man. You got tapped out by one of the best black belts in the world. It is what it is. But the Mershart and the Puna Haley ones were very alarming. Now, speaking of alarming, but in a different kind of way, is all three of Barry Alt's fights. It's like, look, he's not been taking massive damage he's not like getting ran through it's just there's certain things in the athleticism department the speed department and the urgency that you want to see from Barry Alt. if he could just push on that gas a little bit more I, I feel like he could maybe win some of these fights like for example the Andrew Sanchez fight he had some good moments in that second round in the Kristoff fight while I personally think he lost one judge scored it for him and then the Park fight I know just based off the fact that, look, you have those two fights and then you go out there and pull a stunt like that, That you can look at it that way. I'm also like, you know, he took the trip all the way over to Asia, so that didn't really help him. And this fight here is in Vegas, so it's a different scenario. But based off the stylistic matchup, it just seems to me like Oscar is a bit of a front runner, man. If he can't get that first round sub similar to Jillian Robertson, he kind of panics a little bit. He doesn't like the firefight. He's the one that's backing up the entire time on the feet. And while Burial is kind of slow and plodding, he will go forward and he will throw. So I actually lean towards the underdog Burial here. I think that if he can get past an early, you know, for, you know, a kind of a sketchy first round, that he can go out there and kind of break a Pijota, maybe even get his first uh, UFC knockout, let alone UFC win. So I'm actually going to uh, side with the former uh, TKO 
Uh, I think he might have been a champ champ over there. Uh, you know, one of my Canadian friends, correct me if I'm wrong. But regardless, I'm going to sol- I'm gonna side with Mark andre Barrio to get this win here, uh, Shaq. Yeah, you know, you make some good points. You know, that was kind of how I was feeling. You know, P. Hoda, I think he's a, a good black belt, man. But I think the just the main thing here is, although I think Mark andre Barrio is a low-level fighter that just seems to, at least in these three fights, just can't get right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I think that, I don't want to say that he is a little more carefree, but I just think that he's just willing to fight, you know, even if he loses, you know, you know, that's one thing, but I think that he's got a, a willingness to actually fight. That's where I feel like Pihota, you know, like you said, if he can't get that early finish, that early knockout, and we look at his wins in the UFC, I mean, he only beat Tim Williams and uh, Jonathan, jo- uh, Johnny Bravo Wilson. I mean, Barry, uh, he he's been already been in there with Andrew Sanchez, who's a tough winner. Christoph Jocko, who's in the top fifteen, uh, and the Park guy. I mean, Park's not bad. He, you know, he's got a fight with Trevin coming up, so we'll see. We'll see how that come. We'll see how that goes. But uh, you know, I think Barry, you know, could could definitely get this win out tough him i think he's gonna have a little bit of a sketchy first round but like kind of like the mershart fight i think if he just stays in there and gets to that second and third round that uh, you know eventually oscar can pull a stun i think his confidence is completely zapped i think that after the puna haley fight i mean that was a vicious vicious ko not to mention the mershart fight which was let's be honest here that was a late stoppage i mean I remember I was uh, honestly screaming at the TV uh, for the ref to to get in there bro, and save the kid. I know you remember when Oscar's corner man had his head down in the corner. He was just like, "Oh God!" <laughs> you know, it was it was like one of those things where you could uh, tell that they've seen that happen before. You know, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Barryard as well by third round TKO. You know, I think that he's he's a tough Canadian, even though I think he's slow and not that good. I think he's tough, so uh, I'll take Barryard. Yeah, you know, Oscar Piotta's corner was like, he's doing it again, you guys, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, it's like they've seen that in sparring before or something. Next it, up- it was like, a, oh, it was like when, uh, you remember when Megan fought uh, Felicia and James Krause was like, was like, Megan, no, no, no. <laughs> like, now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Tisha, the tiny tornado, Torres, she's 10 and 5, and Brianna, the bull Van Buren, is 9 and 2. Currently, they got Brianna Van Buren minus 210. The comeback on Tisha Torres is plus 175. Uh, Shaq, uh, we got to talk about this fight because, man, this whole thing, this whole narrative here is, you know, Tisha's on a four-fight losing streak, and people say we shouldn't hold that against her because she only lost to, you know, the names that she lost to. And let me remind you something, Shaq. When Tisha fought Wiley Zhang, and Wiley Zhang was only 2-0 in the UFC at the time, and people were saying, well, Wiley Zhang only beat Jessica Aguilar and Daniel Taylor. This is Tisha Torres. And then they were saying stuff like, uh, well, Tisha only lost to Jessica and Joanna. Then it was time to fight Marina Rodriguez, and they said, well, she only lost to Jessica, Joanna, and Marina. Now she's fighting Brianna Van Buren. And they're saying, well, she only lost to uh, Jessica, Yoana, Wiley, and Marina. And then after uh, Brianna beats her, they're going <laughs> to name th- those five names, you know, when she fights the next up-and-coming prospect. But look, as far as this matchup is concerned, Tisha Torres has very, very fast hands, and she's very experienced. She's been doing this for a long time. You know, back in the day, has a win over Rose Nama Yunus, beat Paige Van Zandt, beat Angela Hill, beat a bunch of people back in the day, you know, 2016 and before. Even beat uh, Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson. But when, when you look at the holes in Tisha Torres' game and, and you want to exploit it, 
her two biggest weaknesses are pressure and wrestling. And those just happen to be the two best assets that Brianna Van Buren brings to the table. Her relentless pressure is unlike anything I've seen before in that division. I know she's gotten this comparison a lot, but it really does remind me of a chick DC. And her wrestling is second to none. Uh, I think she might... I know she's kind of small, but I think she might give Tatiana a run for her money just in the wrestling department. But I digress because this is a different matchup. So going into that Lavinia Souza fight, I was doing the whole thing where it was like, you know, if you haven't figured out how to beat Kylan Curran, because she she was super impressive, but I was like, dude, everyone's beating Kylan Curran. Let's relax. And turns out we shouldn't have relaxed because it's not just the fact that she beat Kylan Curran. It's the fact that she beat three chicks in one night, all UFC vets. You know what I mean? Juliana Lima handled it like it was nothing. Kylan Curran and most of these girls, like our girl Yan Zonan even lost her round to Kylan Curran. Meanwhile, Brianna's out here putting on a clinic and finishing her. But then it came time to the UFC debut, and Brianna pushed the pace start to finish on the feet, mixed in the takedowns, and, man, I am very impressed with this girl. I truly believe that she's a future top 10 girl. And, you know, I don't get too high uh, on these prospects. You know, the ones that I've been high on, you guys know exactly who they are. Wiley Zhang ended up being a champion. Yan Zonan, she's in the top 10. Marina Rodriguez, she's in the top 10. Those have pretty much been my prospects. And Rebos, who will be in the top 10 soon. This is my new prospect, Brianna Van Buren, man. I, I think that she's the real deal, and, and I'm willing to, you know, you know, I guess put my balls on the line, even though she's a favorite here, and, and say that, you know, she will be in the top five. She will contend for a title one day. But first things first, she's got to handle Tisha Torres. We've seen time and time again that Tisha Torres cannot get up from bottom. And I'm, I'm even talking about against Michelle Watterson. Like, we bet on Tisha Torres in that fight. And her hands look fantastic in that first round. But, Shaq, what have we always said are Michelle Watterson's two best qualities? Her sidekick and her head and arm throw. I'm pretty sure a, a sidekick and a head and arm throw have nothing to do with throwing hands. No one ever said Michelle Watterson had the best boxing. That's why on the feet, she got outstruck every single time. But when she finally got her head and arm throw going, she held Tisha Torres down. Now, someone that's not going to break in the stand-up exchanges is Brianna Van Buren. She's going to be pushing forward the entire time, regardless of if she gets hit with shots. And if it happens to be close, she will mix in takedowns. And Tisha Torres ain't getting back up, guys. And as the fight progresses, she's going to start to get a little bit discouraged. And she's not going to have Rocky in her corner this time because Rocky's going to be fighting later on in the card. I like Brianna Van Buren here. I, I think that she does make a statement and uh, defeats uh, Tisha Torres, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I see I see a lot of that this week, you know, Van Buren's overrated and you know, you're going to get that a lot of times when you know, I was thinking that going into the to the Souza fight, but yeah, you know, she kind of she kind of sold me, man. You know, I, like you said, she, Kylan Curran and all these uh soccer moms down there in Invicta, you know, really weren't all that impressive, but then you get to Souza who was a former Invicta champion, somewhat respectable fighter, and she absolutely dominated her. And it was more so, you know, how calculated she was. She was very smart in how she was entering the clinch. I mean, she was tying her up, then she'd box her up, though the mix and the high kick just showing a a very well-rounded skill set, you know. So I think the what, what really what this stems from is Tisha Torres is completely done, man. She's you know, she's, uh, her confidence is completely zapped, you know, and, you know, she had that fight with Andrade, which, you know, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she might have won around in, and, you know, that trickled into the, uh, 
you know, on a fight and it's it's not it's not, you know, who she's losing to, you know, yeah, blase, blase, but it's the way she's losing, you know, it's you know, the Yoana fight, did she even really try? She went out there and tried to shoot a takedown and hold on to her legs for fifteen minutes just so she didn't get embarrassed. And then you go into the Wiley Zhang fight and you know yeah, Zhang, that might have been one of Zhang's uh, weaker performance, but I honestly think that Zhang felt kind of unthreatened by her and was just out there trying all type of different, uh, you know, spinning attacks and, you know, different crazy things because uh, she just, when it got, when it got time to really fight Wiley Zhang knew she could always outmatch Tisha Torres so and then the Marina Rodriguez fight that was you know Marina's only got fights against Jessica Aguilar and and uh Random Marcos this is time for Tisha to to get back on track and she got absolutely molly from start to finish uh and I know all these girls are good but I think Van Buren's good maybe not on that level just yet but I think that as far as just winning and losing, that Tisha Torres doesn't have, you know, what it takes in here or up here. So, you know, I, I think that Brianna Van Buren is going to come out here and get a breeze decision, beat Tisha Torres up, tie her up on the fence, uh, you know, mix in the high kick and, and do her thing and, and be the bull, bully Tisha Torres. That confidence is completely gone, guys. I know, you know, Tisha Torres, but like, let's be honest here, like back in the day, like the, the games evolved so much. She was in there with that first, that first group of ladies at least like some of them you know evolved and and got a little better like Esparza for example or you know somebody else but like Tisha Torres I feel like when she got you know I'm not gonna shit on her personal life but I just feel like when she got married to to Pennington I mean the the fighting career just went you know general you know she left ATT so you know uh I got to go with Van Buren here. I think that she's hungrier. I think that she's a better fighter. I think she's better mentally. And, you know, I got, I think that she's going to do the thing on here on Saturday night. So it just got announced as we're recording this podcast that Frank Camacho has a replacement opponent. I sent you his record on Instagram DM if you want to check it real quick. So I'm going to take this one first. So next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Frank Camacho. He's 22 and 8. And Justin, the guitar hero, Janes, is 15 and 4. So there's no odds yet, but, um, and I haven't watched any tape because this fight literally got announced as we're uh, recording the podcast. But what I can see from Justin, the guitar hero, Janes, is he's a 5 foot 7 welterweight, which is already alarming. 30 years old. He's got a decent record. Doesn't look like he's been finished. And he's, he's fought some, you know, reasonable comp, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Frank Camacho here, man. He's got so much more experience. He's seasoned. He's been in there with the who's who. The guy hits like an absolute truck. And he's got some sneaky uh, trips in there, too, that he likes to utilize. You know, he took down my boy Drew Dober three times in that fight. And, you know, when Camacho's on his game and he's not fighting someone that's more athletically gifted than him, he usually can go out there and win. And, you know, sometimes the cardio's been an issue, but I don't think it'll be an issue in this spot. Hey, this kid actually, uh, Guitar Hero, beat Troy Lampson back when Troy was 6-0. and no. he, he handed Troy Lampson Troy's uh, first L, beat Eric Lozano, beat Brandon Noble. So he's beat some guys on the regional scene, but... It's time to take that first L, my guy. So I'm going to go with Frank Camacho here, Shaq. Who the fuck is, is Lozano? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got uh, <laughs> I got Frank Camacho by first-round knockout. Man. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Clay the Carpenter Guida. He's 35 and 19. And Bobby King Green is 24 and 10. Currently, they got Bobby Green minus 235. The comeback on Clay Guida is plus 195. I'm curious about your opinion on this, man, because, look, 
You know, I, I agree in the sense that I favor Bobby Green, but it's like every single Bobby Green fight is super close. I feel like he sometimes doesn't do enough. And when Guido wins fights, he historically outworks people. So if this goes the distance, I'm curious to see what happens. The question is, uh, does Guido have the durability to, to last uh, the three-round distance, Shaq? Yeah, you know, this is a very interesting fight because, uh, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and say it, man. I actually agree with the line being, you know, somewhat wide. And I get it. You know, a lot of people are saying, uh, you know, two old guys, Green's like one, three and one in his last few fights. Uh, you know, not the same guy, you know, all this, this and that. But, man, Clay Guida, to be honest, a ton of respect for him. Beat Pettis, beat RDA. I think that he's a great competitor, one of the one of the better lightweights, you know, of the of the last decade, man. So shout out to Clay Guida would never, you know, say anything disrespectful about the guy. But just and from a fighting sense, man, I really think that he's only got a couple fights left. As whereas like Bobby Green, although he's not the same guy he once was, let's just look at the competition level that he's been fighting, man. We're talking about uh, he's fighting Francisco Trinaldo down in Brazil. I know Trinaldo's old, but Trinaldo can still bang with the best of them. Let's just be honest here. Trinaldo beat Alexander Hernandez, man. Uh, you know, he's out there fighting uh, these young bucks like Lando Venata. He's still going to draw with them. Uh Jakar close, like guys that have better pressure than uh, Clay Guida, uh, bigger, powerful, younger, fresher. And he's still having like somewhat close fights with these guys. I mean, it's not like he's out here getting knocked out in the first round and, and finished. So, you know, the whole he doesn't do enough thing. I think when he gets a step down in competition where he can actually go out there style and have fun and he's not fighting a a top 20 guy like Francisco Trinaldo or Jakar Close, who's like six and two in the UFC. Uh, these young up and comers like Lando and Rasheed Magomedov and Dustin Poirier. Like, I think that he can actually really have one of, uh, one of, and then, you know, his fight with Eric Koch. I know you remember the, the real key to this fight. Why I think it's a good matchup for green is the wrestling, you know, Clay Guida, uh, you know, he's if he's looking to try to box Bobby, I think he's Bobby's too fast. He lands more strikes per minute. Uh, he's just a lot more flashier. I think he can, you know, have one of those classic King Green performances where he's talking to him in there and, you know, maybe landing a couple slaps. And uh, I think that the wrestling really, man, I think Green is a case to be made that he might have better MMA wrestling than Clay, Clay Guida, man. I think his wrestling is very, very underrated. You ever seen Bobby Green get, get held down or you know, uh, I think his wrestling is very, very underrated. I mean, he's taken down Jakar close. He took down Trinaldo a couple times. I think that Bobby Green's going to come out here and have a classic King, King, King Green performance. Props to Clay Guida, but man, he throws single shots at a time. He's just swinging the basic, you know, left foot, big overhand right, looking for a double leg, and I just don't see that happening. I think that K King Green still comes to fight, even though he's not the same guy, but I think this is a step down in competition for him, like a, a, a big step down in competition for him. So I'm going to go with King Green, actually, to get a finish here, and, you know, and get on the mic and talk some shit with DC. So I'm going to go with King Green. Bobby Green will always have a special place in my heart because I'll never forget the time I cashed that plus 250 on him against uh, Josh Thompson back in the day. One of my favorite underdog caches to this day, Shaq. And uh, look, 
I like Bobby Green's style, man. He's super exciting. A lot of people criticize that he talks and fights with his hands down. But, look, he's a showman. You know, I, I love the showmanship, man. It's He's super entertaining to watch. And he's a very solid fighter. He has been this entire time. A lot of these decision losses have been super close fights to real tough competitors. Like you mentioned, Rashid, Drakkar, Francisco. So, you know, th these are serious fights. And with Clay Guida, you know, UFC Hall of Famer, love the guy. I mean, I remember in high school watching him uh, fight Nate Diaz, the Diego Sanchez fight, the whole bit, you know. Clay Guida's the fucking man. I even saw him fight uh, Brian Ortega in person. And that fight, like, look, he put up a good fight, a lot better of a fight than I expected him to. So I got to give him credit. I know he's out here kind of. You know, he lost a round to BJ Penn in, uh, in 2018 and this and that. That's not necessarily a good look. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bobby Green even come out here and get a, a submission win along the way. But, yeah, I, I got Bobby Green here, man. You know, I guess the reason that I was kind of wondering about the line was because Bobby does tend to fight close. And, like I said, uh, if Guida, you know, when Guida wins fights, he historically outworks people. So if Bobby wants to play around and not throw, that's where it kind of gives Guida a chance. But if, if Bobby fights to his potential, he's winning this fight. So I'm going to go with him as well. Now, also in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Roosevelt Roberts. He's 10 and 1. And Jim fucking Miller is 31 and 14. Currently, they got Roosevelt Roberts minus 240. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 200. Uh, Shaq, look, this kid, Roosevelt Roberts, man, he's impressed me. He's been thrown right into the gauntlet in his uh, UFC career. Um, and he's literally having to to develop right before our eyes. You know, I feel like he's been making big improvements every single fight. And like you mentioned on the last pod, you know, he had to go to Russia to fight Yakovlev. And even the Vince Pichel fight was back and forth. So those are the kind of experiences you need to come out here and fight. Uh, when we talk about being experienced... You talk about the guy with the most fights in UFC history, and that just happens to be Jim Miller. I mean, the guy is unbelievable. Been fighting throughout so many eras of the sport. You know, a guy that uh, I believe should be in the Hall of Fame. I love Jim Miller. It's, it's Jim Miller, you know what I mean? But historically speaking, last few years, the way Jim Miller wins and the way Jim Miller loses. The way Jim Miller wins is a first-round sub or a first-round knockout. I mean, he can come out here tag you up he he comes to throw he comes to bang you shoot on a sloppy takedown on this guy he can snatch that neck but historically speaking if you can get past that first round with jim miller like as of you know the last few fights his cardio isn't the same as it once was you know i think it might be due to, to that condition which just speaks volumes to how tough this guy is to go out there and fight regardless of what's going on i mean i love jim miller man i'd love to drink a beer with that guy someday but i, I feel like if Roosevelt Roberts can get past the early going that he's the one that's going to have success. The length is a massive thing here. I mean, nowadays we're seeing six foot tall, uh, you know, lightweights. And I think he might be even taller than six feet. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think that somewhere along the way he might actually find the submission himself if he's still in there after the first round. So I'm going to lean with the favorite as well. I'm going to go with Roosevelt Roberts, Shaq. Yeah, I'm super excited for this fight. Jim Miller, a legend, like you said, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And to be honest, his last fight against uh, Hot Sauce there, he didn't look too bad, man. He still had some pop on them shots. He, you know, won, uh, won a round, I believe. Uh, I mean, he, that was a good fight. But, you know, both those guys are are 36 years old. And Roosevelt Roberts, he definitely hasn't fought anyone of this caliber. Uh, you know, he had that setback to, to Vince Pichel. But, man, I really like the the... 
the that Yakov left performance. I know it was going coming down to the wire and and this and that, but when you look at a guy like Yakov left who's been in there with Maya Usman and for Roosevelt Roosevelt to only be in there with him with eight fights or so was a, a definitely a big win a big win in my eyes for him, man. And I think he's throwing with a different aggression. I think that he's letting his hands go a little bit more. And when he when this guy lets his hands go, I know he's known for his submissions, but when he when he lets his hands go, man, he, he throws with a, a ferocity, man, with that length. It's uh, kind of scary. I want to see him let them hand, those hands go more. I know a lot of people say that he does a lot of uh, dumb things in there. And, look, you're going to get some of that, you know, with him being so so young in his career. But I think that the fact that he's stepping right back in there after that, you know, win over uh, Brock Weaver is a, is a good thing. And, Jim, you know, how many more of these, you know, last stands does he have where he takes a, you know, a, a vicious beating? Like, I mean, towards the end of that hot sauce fight, it was getting ugly, you know what I'm saying? And that's not the first beating that Jim Miller's taken. He's taken several. So at some point, you got to wonder, like, man, how many more of these, you know, get my ass whooped and then come back and, you know, get a win here and there. But I think his wins, I think they found, like, the scoundrel of scout you know like like the bottom bottom dwellers like alex white and jason gonzalez and you know the clay guida fight in which he got rocked right before that clay guida just you know is towards the tail end of his career so so i think that uh roosevelt roberts his range is going to frustrate miller and i think his patience is going to frustrate miller as well you know i don't think you're going to see roosevelt go out there and start trying to to look for a knockout or anything like that i think he's going to stick to the jab you know occasionally back himself into the fence get a couple of clinch exchanges look for the neck and jim miller and we like you said you've seen jim miller tap tap several times uh, throughout his career and i think the pachel fight you know where people saying that vince pachel you know absolutely broke him this and that which which you know could, could but i actually thought it was a good showing man i thought that the kid fought tough i think pachel is a, is a sleeper pachel's handed a lot of uh a lot of first L's, you know i mean i know you remember when he knocked out knocked out beat down brown down there in australia in the first round and beat neto bjj i mean pachel's a a, a solid guy so you know i think that roosevelt roberts the best days are ahead of him uh you know it is a big step up in competition but the fact that you know the uh, odds, the bookies, uh, odds makers may open this up so wide leads me to believe that, man, this could be an indication of what's to come on Saturday night. You know, they think the young bucks about to come out here and, and, and possibly probably finish Jim Miller. So I'm going to lean that side as well. Um, but I don't think it's a dog or pass situation. You know, like a lot of people are saying, I think that Jim Miller is, is at a big height disadvantage, a cardio disadvantage. Uh, I don't see him chaining double legs for three rounds, having the cardio for that. So, yeah, I got Roosevelt by finish. And next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Lyman Good. He's 21-5, and five, and Bilal Muhammad is 16-3. and three. Currently, they got Bilal Muhammad minus 130. The comeback on Lyman Good is plus 110. Shaq, this is a fantastic matchup in the welterweight division. Uh, got to give Lyman Good a lot of credit. He looked unbelievable his last fight against chance run counter uh, absolutely ran through him in a way i mean put on a serious clinic it was a exhibition out there his kicks are so damn hard the guy's super physical he's built like a fucking brick house i mean the guy is uh he's serious man and if you're not gonna go out there and fight lyman if you're gonna let him tee off on you i mean he won't just tee off on you he'll style he'll style on you man but one thing I got to say about that fight, and I mean, we can mention how, you know, Bilal school chance for encounter a couple years back, too. But one thing about that fight, 
How many takedowns did Chancer encounter land? Zero. How many strikes to the face did Chancer encounter land? One or two, you know, zero. So it, it, it's a situation where if Lyman can go out there, and I don't want to call it front run because it's like he did put on that clinic every single round and he did handle him accordingly. But when there's no resistance, that that's when Lyman does his best. Like in that Andrew Craig fight, in the uh, Ben Saunders fight, when, when there's nothing coming back at him, he's scary as hell. But when, when you stand up to a guy like Lyman Good, as you saw in the Zaleski fight, and Zaleski is not as you know physically or athletically talented as Lyman Good or anything like that. He might not even have the same technique as Lyman Good. Because let me say this. It's not just that Lyman Good's like some muscle, man. The guy's technical striking is very, very serious. His parrying and his hand fighting, I actually really like it. When you just look at the pure technique itself, Lyman Good is really, really good at what he does, no pun intended. But... The thing is, when it comes down to getting dirty and actually fighting, that's where people have been able to exploit a weakness in Lyman Good's game. And he doesn't like that back-and-forth fight, you know, in, in between rounds in that Zaleski fight because Zaleski was standing up to him. And Coach Shulman's asking him, Lyman, what's going on? And he's like, I, I don't want to get knocked out. And it's like, fuck that, Lyman, get knocked out, right? You remember that? And, and, and the reason why is because, Zaleski wasn't afraid of this guy. Zaleski met him in the middle and fought him. And one thing I'll say about Bilal Muhammad is this guy, win, lose, or draw, will come out here and he will fight you. And it's funny because if you look at Bilal Muhammad when he first came into the UFC in 2016 and he, he went one and two in his, you know, first three fights, a lot of us were saying shit like, you know, maybe Bilal should drop to 55 and this and that. Well, in his latest run, now that he's won six of his last seven, no one's saying he should drop to 55 because he's put on size. Now he's looking like a big welterweight. I mean, me and you saw him in ATL, and he wasn't looking like no 55er out there. The guy is put on size, and he's developing all areas of his game. And I know he's known as having a bit of a point-fighting style on the feet, but he's actually landed 19 takedowns in his UFC career. He's got some of the nicest entries I've seen in the welterweight division. And most importantly, I think he can hang with Lyman Good on the feet. And I think when Bilal starts getting off on some of his shots, that can discourage Lyman Good. But most importantly, I think he's going to mix in the entries, take him down, which we've seen in the past has been a weakness in Lyman Good's game. I'm not just talking about the Damian Maya fight, which, you know, one takedown the fight was over shortly after, but Zaleski took him down with something easy, just caught a kick, put him down right away. Even that fight on the Ultimate Fighter where you remember Dana was like, this is the Bellator champion? <laughs> you know, you remember that? Like, the guy, Ian Stevens, was taking taking him down at will. Now, granted, he's gotten a lot better since then. He stuffed Chancellor Encounters takedowns. I'm just not convinced that he's going to stuff uh, Bilal Muhammad's takedowns. Now, I'm not going to use this whole COVID thing against Lyman Good because I don't have any proof that he stopped training or anything like that. I, I don't know the, the deal. So I'm assuming... I'm assuming we're going to see the best Lyman Good on Saturday on Saturday night. But I know for a fact we're going to see the best Bilal Muhammad on Saturday night as well because this is a guy that he's trained throughout this entire quarantine. You know, I'm not supposed to talk about this, but you know how they closed a bunch of gyms. Let's just say that that didn't prevent Bilal Muhammad from getting work. And not to mention the fact, you know, when you talk about, you know, putting your ego to the side, how about going and training with the last man to beat you? Bilal Muhammad flew down to Fortis MMA, and he specifically wanted Jeff Neal to help him out, 
Coach Safe, you know, and he had obviously his mentor, Lewis Taylor, there with him. And, you know, I'm kind of close to the situation, so I'm going to give you a, a personal example. I want to speak to the kind of work ethic Bilal Muhammad has. So I was actually playing uh, Call of Duty with him and his mentor, Lewis Taylor, one night at like 1 a.m. And this is after Bilal's already had a full day of training. He doesn't have to do any more training at all. He's done for the day. He's relaxing. And at 1 a.m., he says, you know what? I want to go run some miles on the street. And Lewis Taylor, his mentor, literally, this is at fucking 1 a.m. They can go to sleep. Lewis Taylor was like, all right, I'm coming through. So he leaves, goes in his car, goes to Bilal Muhammad's house, and they literally go run the streets of Chicago at 1 a.m. for however long. So this is the kind of dedication these guys have. They, they truly live and breathe the fight game. And I think on Saturday night, it's going to come down to who wants it more. Look, there's always a chance Lyman Good can land that fight-ending shot. We can't deny that. We know Bilal's been hit a couple times. But if that fight-ending blow doesn't happen for uh, Lyman Good in the first seven minutes, I think that Bilal Muhammad is going to hang with him on the feet. But more importantly, he's going to mix in the takedowns. And once he once they reach that breaking point, that's where Bilal's going to take over and break him and run away with this thing. So I'm going to go with Bilal Muhammad via unanimous decision, Shaq. Yeah, man, this is a good fight. This is a really good fight. These guys, you know, I know they've been supposed to, uh, they've had a couple of matchups fall through in the past. Man, this is a good fight because, you know, I, I see those things you're saying, you know, the takedowns. He has a great, uh, you know, uh, level change Bilal and he, like, his parrying game is on point. Like, Bilal's definitely good. It's, uh, and like you said, Lyman, you know, one thing I will say, man, I, I kind of feel like in the past, I was a little bit too hard for that on him in that Eliza fight. You know, he definitely said what he said in the corner, but man, I actually thought it was a good showing. And, you know, I personally, I, I, I don't think Bilal has that type of firepower. You know, I think that he's more of a, uh, you know, uh, MMA well-rounded game, you know, likes to shoot the doubles, uh, a great level change, uh, jab, you know, keep it simple on the feet from the outside. And, he, and his parrying game is super on point. You know, um, I think Lyman can play that game, too. I think Lyman is a little bit more one-dimensional just with his power. But, you know, I think that Lyman is kind of... I don't, I don't, I don't say a little underrated because man, if he if he is on point, if he is sharp, if he is getting more comfortable comfortable in there, man, he's got the power to to knock a lot of these guys out. And you know, with that being said, I think that uh, you know, I think that although I think Bilal has a slightly better like technical prowess and you know just uh, just I think he's a better overall fighter. I think that good has such a size advantage here and a power edge that it might possibly not matter. So I'm definitely intrigued to see what actually happens. And I do think good's getting a little bit more comfortable. You know, one thing a lot of people have always criticized them is uh, the throwing. And I know their Ren counter fight was an easy fight, but just from the, the betting perspective, man, it was a closely lined fight. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it turned out to be a mismatch, but man, I think this is a close fight. Like I, I, I see the the thing, you know, Bilal mixing it up on him, and you know he has been taken down in the past. But I also feel like there's a chance where Lyman's just simply too strong for him to possibly do that. And I think that if Lyman starts moving forward on him like he does in a lot of his fights, one thing I'll say about the Eliza fight, man, he moved forward the entire time. Uh, I definitely would be a little bit worried about some of those exchanges. I think Bilal drops his hands down a little bit, but Bilal, he fights like a lawyer, man. He's super smart. He, uh, he understands the game very well. So, you know, if this hits the cards, I am leaning him to win. It's just, 
man, I, I really do think there's a chance Good could possibly be getting more comfortable in there. And I think that uh, if Good cracks him, I, I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to eat it. I know that he's been uh, doing his thing in there, but man, I feel like Good is a, is, a, is more just more talented than those guys if he can put it together. But uh, we'll see. He, he's failed in the past, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a good close fight. I think I think it's a 50-50 fight, man. So, uh, you know, I'll take Bilal by a close decision, but I would not be shocked if Good knocked him out. And, uh, you know, I I think the, for the, the betters that got Good at, like, plus 130, 140, whatever it was, or uh, I think that that's a good bet. But, you know, if, if people start betting Good, uh, I wouldn't be opposed to uh, Bilal as well. So Now, next up. In the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Raquel Pennington. She's 10-8, and eight, and Marion Renault is 9-5. and five. Currently, they got Raquel Pennington, minus 160. The comeback on Marion Renault is plus 140. Well, Shaq, uh, I was initially leaning Raquel Pennington to kind of edge it, but the line isn't really reflecting a 50-50 fight. It seems like most people are favoring Raquel pretty decently here. I mean, you think that she's going to edge this one, or you... Uh, you pulling from my girl, uh, Marion Renault. I believe she turns 43 on fight night. Yeah, you know, Raquel's kind of lost a step. I know she beat Irene not too long ago, but, um, you know, she's just, you know, a tough fighter. I, I, I You know, the a lot of people are shitting on her about the home fight, which kind of wasn't her fault. I kind of predicted that would happen. I said that clinch game at home and it is serious, and uh, she held her on that fence the entire time. So, you know... Uh, I don't kind of hold Rocky. You know, Marion Renault, I like Marion. You know, that win over Sarah McMahon was on point. Has a win over Andrade. Um, Definitely got some good wins. But getting 30-26 by Katzengano is a a little alarming. And the fact that in the Yana Kunitskaya fight, what was kind of sad about that is, like, you know, live, it's kind of clear. Like, that fight was just, you know, I don't want to say two old ladies fighting, but it was like, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good look. I mean, look, I thought it was one of those cases where Yana, like, clearly won, just outlanded her the first two rounds. You know, Renault was hesitant. And then the third round, you saw how Yana's face ended up looking, you know, nose broken, face covered in blood. And, uh, Renault was, like, so shocked that she lost. It was kind of like, Marion, come on now. Like, you know, you lost the first two rounds. But, uh, man, so I think, I think, I favor Rocky, you know, I think that I don't want to bring the age into it or anything like that because I don't think it matters that much. But I think in certain matchups, like Rocky will be able to, you know, use her little bully style. But when she's in there with like, you know, Jermaine and, you know, Nunes and Holly Holm, like these these fighters that are super educated and, and have like real skill sets, you know, that's where she's gonna struggle. Um, as where, you know, the, the these type of fighters I, I kinda think she does well against. You know, she's I mean she just beat Arena not too long ago, so that's gotta go for something. So uh I got Raquel Pennington here by uh, a tough decision. It's an interesting matchup for a couple of reasons, cause if you wanna know the blueprint to beat Marion Renault, it's pretty simple. Take her down and don't get subbed. And you're going to win the fight, right? Like, if you watch the tape on Marion, one thing about her, similar to Courtney Casey, is she can't stuff a takedown for whatever reason. But on the flip side of that, if you box with Marion Renault, uh, I mean, she, she's got some decent hands. And also, if Marion gets on top, that's where she can do some damage. And the thing with Rocky Pennington is, you know, she's just kind of average. You know, she... Uh, 
you know, sometimes she can use her size, kind of bully these girls a little bit, you know, kind of edge out fights and this and that. But the overall game it isn't that great. And she doesn't land too many takedowns either. But then again, one takedown and the round might be over, and that's a sealed off round for Raquel. I, I just kind of feel like this should be closer to a 50-50 fight. And while I do lean Raquel, I lean her around, you know, a minus 120, a minus 125. So here at minus 160, you know, I'm actually going to go on the opposite end and uh, take uh, Marion Renault to get it done on her 43rd birthday. Uh, shout out to the Belizean bruiser, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, look, I think if she can make this close, she has a she has a chance to win this split decision. So we'll see what happens, but I'm going to go with Marion Renault to get this upset. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We've been waiting for this one. We got Josh Emmett. He's 15-2, and two, and Hurricane Shane Burgos is 13-1. and one. Currently, they got Shane Burgos minus 140. The comeback on Josh Emmett is plus 120. Well, Shaq, you got one of the most talented strikers in the division in Shane Burgos, but he fights with his hands down, taking on the hardest hitter, arguably, in the featherweight division and Josh Emmett. Is the hands-down thing going to be the downfall of Shane Burgos, or is he going to come out here and pick apart? Josh Emmett. Yeah, this is a interesting fight because, you know, we got Burgos, who's huge, one of the bigger featherweights you're going to see in the division. And then you got Josh Emmett, man, who I've been saying for the long time, you know, I actually predicted that this guy would go out there and knock out the number three featherweight in the world at the time in uh, Ricardo Lamas on a couple weeks short notice. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, you know, uh, then he fought uh, Jeremy Stevens, you know, kind of had that letdown. And he, but he, man, he bounced back from that vicious KO with the vicious, another vicious two, uh, you know, stoppages in a row. But man, Burgos is definitely going to be his toughest test since uh, Jeremy Stevens. Man, Burgos is one of these guys where, you know, I know everyone's saying like, oh, there's, you mean to tell me like, Emmett's not going to crack him on the chin at some point, which like he probably is. But, man, I, I do, like, see the angle of, you know, if this hits the cards that Burgos is going to win just because of the fact that pretty much the only type of strikes that Emmett throws is a big overhand rights, left hooks. Uh, I know he knocked Mursad out with a jab, but, you know, just being Burgos being so tall, I, I don't see that happening in, in this particular fight. But, man, this is a good fight because Shane gets hit, like, almost six times a minute, <laughs> you know, even when he fought Cub Swanson. I mean, there were still moments in that fight where it's just like some of these shots are just getting too close for comfort, you know. Uh, it's like you know that he's probably not going to get knocked out. But uh, but then, like, he keeps playing around with that, and you see the Kurt Hollibaugh fight where, you know, he, he's in there and he gets clipped with a big overhand right, hits the deck, but he was able to pull the armbar off. So Shane, like, I have a hard time believing that his coaching staff, like, finally, might, maybe possibly had a talk and was like, bro, like, we, <laughs> we can't, uh, <laughs> like, we got to put our hands up a, a little bit, like, this, I mean, just turn on Josh Emmett's highlight reel. So, you know, uh, I think that if this hits the cards, it's going to favor Burgos, but if this ends early, it, it's definitely going to favor Emmett. I think that Burgos mixes it up to the body a lot better, just has a much more variety of shots, kicks, uh, jabs, you know, hooks to the body. And I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. It's just that if Emmett cracks you on the chin early, 
or just even in the third round, I mean, there's a chance he knocks you out. So this is a kind of a pass fight for me because I see both sides. Like if when Shane Burgos finally does get knocked out again, you know, I know Calvin knocked him out the first time. And, and it's so funny because, you know, Calvin was touching him up with a jab early on, but then Shane actually came back in that space and that, and that size, he was just walking Calvin down, hitting him to the body. So I, I do favor Burgos slightly just as a pick. It's just uh, from a betting perspective, I just can't. There's been too many close calls with him and his hands down, and you cannot deny that the fact. I mean, look, Emmett's had a round where he dropped Arantes like five times or four times. He knocked out Ricardo Lamas. I know there's a, a vicious KO back on the local scene, the Christos Giagos. Like, I've seen dudes on ice skates when they fight Josh Emmett, man, dancing around the cage. And the Michael Johnson fight, he's stiff, and, and the Mercer Bechtic fight. So, Emmett, I feel like, is kind of a little bit underrated. I feel like, I mean, he, he kind of doesn't get an, enough credit just because of that Jeremy Stevens fight, but man, the, I cannot deny that guy's power. And just betting against him at minus money, I think these are the type of guys that you sometimes have to watch out for. So I'll, I'll pick Burgos by decision as a pick, but uh, from a betting perspective, it's passed for me. Yeah, you said it really well, man. I feel like on DraftKings, you definitely want exposure to both sides because they both got paths to victory. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them on the same lineup, though. I'd put them on separate lineups because if Emmett wins, He's going to knock Burgos the fuck out, but if Burgos wins, I mean, there's the decision possibility, but I wouldn't write off uh, a Burgos knockout either, man. Burgos has so much output. His technique is so much better than Josh Emmett's. He really mixes it up, and he's huge for the weight class like you mentioned. Also, what about the takedown defense? Because I know people are bringing up the whole takedown angle. Burgos can stuff a takedown and get back up too. Now, I, I want to bring this to the table. Like, if we're thinking about Josh Emmett, the best way to to knock this guy out is not just go out there, swing home run shots. I think he should faint the takedown, you know, let him think about the takedown coming. And then when the hands naturally start to drop a little lower, that's when you go upstairs and possibly put this guy away. So, you know, it, it's just a tough one for me to call because it's like, I think Burgos is the much better fighter, but the one thing that, Emmett brings to the table could be the thing that wins him this fight. And it's been the thing that's won him all these fights. You know, you can make the argument MJ and Lamas is are better fighters than him, but it didn't even matter. Right. So it might not matter here either, but I, I don't know. This, this is one I just want to watch as a fan because I need to see what's going to happen. And I'm curious if it's as simple as we're saying as, you know, either Burgos picks him apart or Burgos gets knocked out. Is it truly that simple? We're, we're going to find out. I'm also leaning with Burgos, but, you know, let's let's just enjoy this fight as fans. You know, we're not obligated to put money on every single fight, and this is one that could literally go either way. It's a hell of a fight. I'm going to lean with Shane Burgos here. Main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got a matchup between Curtis Razor Blades. He's 13-2, and two, and Alexander Volkov is 31-7. and seven. Currently, they got Curtis Blades minus 400. The comeback on Alexander Volkov is plus 325. Well, Shaq, let me tell you this. Alexander Volkov's come a long way. I know you remember back in the day when he was the Bellator heavyweight champion, and if uh, you wanted to take down Alexander Volkov in Bellator, you're going to take him down, and not only that, he's probably not getting back up, but Nowadays in the UFC, I feel like he's made massive improvements, man. You know, I know he had the slip up against Derek Lewis, but I feel like overall his takedown defense has gotten much better and he's starting to feel comfortable in there. You know, he knocked out the former champion Fabricio Werdum. He can knock out legends like that. He can also knock out up and comers like or a uh, beat up and comers rather like Greg Hardy when he picked him apart and 
Look, Volkov's been doing his thing, but so has Blades. And one thing about Blades is uh, he sets takedown records in there, and uh, one of the hardest takedowns to stop in the entire uh, heavyweight division. And if your name's not Francis Ngannou, chances are you're probably not going to beat the guy. Now, there, there's a couple ways to look at it because Curtis Blades, I would recommend, you know, you know, sitting from the couch, I would recommend you go out there and try to take this guy down over and over. But... Knowing the fact that Curtis Blades just knocked his last opponent out in, in Junior Cigano, who's always been known for his MMA boxing, you know sometimes these wrestlers start to fall in love with their hands. And if uh, Curtis Blades wants to be cute and wants to come out here and test his stand-up against Volkov, I think that that's where Volkov has a path to victory. However, if Curtis Blades gets back to the meat and potatoes, grinds this guy out, rinse and repeat with the takedowns, mixing that nasty ground and pound, then Curtis Blades is going to win this fight and the minus 400 is going to look appropriate. It's just about Curtis Blades' approach to this fight because, again, like I said, these wrestlers get one knockout, all of a sudden they think that they're strikers and they start to fall in love with that. That's when you start to see them hit the deck. So we'll see what kind of approach he has. That That's why I'm saying be cautious with the minus 400 because he might try this new approach. But if he goes out there like he normally does, mixes in takedowns, he should come out here kind of dominantly. So I'm going to go with uh, the favorite Curtis Blade, Shaq. Yeah, you know, this is a great uh, main event. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of both guys. Been a fan of Volkov since he was in Bellator, losing to Congo and Tony Johnson. Back in the day, beating Ivanov and Blades, like you said, other than Francis Ngannou. I mean, he's just been dominant. He does his thing. He gets the takedowns. I think that, to be honest, that I don't want to say he necessarily doesn't have to take him down because, you know, that threat, that level change that, man, these guys bite on it so much with him that, like, he kind of comes over. He's starting to come over the top with the right hand a lot of a lot of the times now and, and faking these guys out, and he's a super powerful guy. And Volkov, man, he's more of a, uh, you know, slower-paced heavyweight, likes to stick the jab out there. He likes to throw his straight shots, kind of likes to extend the fight. So Curtis has got to, you know, make sure he doesn't, you know, blow him himself out smashing this guy on the ground and then you know possibly start getting jabbed up and inside low kick because Volkov man although he's not necessarily known for the one punch KOs he'll, he'll start torturing guys out there and start dragging it on and making dudes look silly and man Volkov is underrated as well in my opinion I mean this guy is you know six and one in the UFC pretty he kind of was on quite a nice little dominant streak himself if it wasn't for that uh Derek Lewis fight but, uh, you know, you got to go with Blades here. The wrestling is just too much for these guys. Uh, but from a betting perspective, I, I don't want to say it's Volkov or Pass, but I think that there is some 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 slight value there, man. I think that, uh, you know, Volkov, I know they got a game plan for this wrestling. At least, like, maybe he tries the uh, GDR game plan and backs himself into the fence, you know, something like that. He's been working with uh, Kenny Johnson from Black House. So we'll see what his answer is for the takedowns. He's had a bad history in the past with the clinch and the uh, – in the um, – in the wrestling game, but like you said, he's been making improvements, so we'll see. But I, I favor Kurt, man. He's just too powerful. Uh, he uh, just gets these takedown records and, and finishes these guys. I know you remember what he did to Shamil down there in Abu Dhabi when uh, 2 chains was front row saying, beat him, Kurt, beat him, Kurt. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I got a Curtis Blades here, by, probably by finish. Well, Shaq. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Vegas 3? 
my fight to watch is gonna be Roosevelt Roberts versus uh, Jim Miller. You know, this is a that typical uh, prospect versus you know uh, all time vet test here for Roosevelt. If he gets this win, man, he's gonna be somewhat of a uh, of a household name now. And Jim Miller's one of the best guys to ever do it. One of the best guys to uh, ever compete in the lightweight division. And if he gets a win, you know, when Jim Miller wins, everybody, everyone's happy, man. So, you know, I, that's my fight to watch. I want to see if Roosevelt Roberts is ready for this big uh, step up. For me, my fight to watch is Lyman Good versus Bilal Muhammad. I feel like this is uh, going to be a very action-packed fight while it lasts. Obviously, Lyman Good hits like an absolute truck. Bilal Muhammad's got the smarts and the fight IQ and the wrestling and I'm just very curious to see what exactly takes place when these two lock horns. This is a fight that's been supposed to happen since 2016. So both guys are super familiar with each other. They've been training to fight against each other for years. Now they finally get to meet on Saturday night. For that reason, Good versus Muhammad is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN 11? My fighter to watch is going to be uh, Bobby King Green, man. I feel like... Bobby Green's got a, a good fight on his hands, and he's one of the most entertaining guys, you know, uh, to you know to be to be in the UFC. I mean, this guy, you know, he's talking in there. Uh, he's got a good story, and you know, with everything going on in the world, I think he's gonna have a a good uh, a good weekend and get on that mic and, and do his thing. So, Bobby Green's my my fighter to watch. And for me, my fighter to watch is uh, Brianna Van Buren. You know, like I told you guys already. I'm very selective about my prospects in that division, but every single one that I've been high on has either been a champion like Wiley Zhang or been in the top 10 like Yan Zonen and Marina Rodriguez and soon Amanda Ribas. And I'm adding Brianna Van Buren to that list. I think she's the real deal. And this is a chance for her to go out there and show how legit she is against a perennial top 10 fighter in Tisha Torres, someone who was in the Hoist Gracie era of that division, you know, so, someone who's paid her dues you know what i mean so this is a big opportunity and for that reason brianna van buren is my fighter to watch Shaq. well Shaq, we did it it's going down this saturday in las vegas nevada curtis blaze versus alexander volkov they can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com use Shaq's promo code Shaq 50 for 50 percent off his plays use my promo code dan 25 for 25 percent off mine use our promo code 2020 for 20 percent off the vips at bestfightpicks.com follow Shaq at mma genius 05 on twitter at ShaqBFP on Instagram. Follow me at Best Fight Picks on Twitter, at Best Fight Picks Official on Instagram. You can follow the pod on Instagram too at Half the Battle Pod or Half the Battle HQ on Twitter. Truly appreciate it, guys. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. Thank you guys so much for your support. We'll be back next week for another fight night. So until the next time, let's cash these bets. <laughs>